0: i so... my name is Justin Young. Uh, Thank you all for sticking around. Um, I've got some family here. I want to thank them for coming. It means a lot to me. I'm excited for them to get to meet uh, the rest of my family. Uh, This man right here, Roger Peters, I'm thankful that he's here. So if you get a chance to meet him, meet him. Um, Also thankful to Daryl to give me the opportunity to do this uh, and to show some appreciation for that. Uh, I want to do something that I actually saw Daniel do when he spoke up here. So, um, you know, Daryl kind of puts his neck on the line when he allows people to come up here and share from the pulpit. And so what something Daniel did, which I thought was really cool, is he, he in, uh, encouraged people to, you know, if they had uh, any kind of questions or if they disagreed with anything, he said, he was like, come to me, talk to me first, you know, you can go to Daryl after, but come to me first with it. Um, I thought that was really cool. So I kind of want to follow suit. And I'll say, you know, if I say something that uh, you co- have questions about, or you disagree with, or you're not sure it lines up, or whatever, you don't have to go to Daryl with that. Daniel is right here. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand, Daniel. Uh, you can most definitely take all those to him, and he'd be happy to field them. Uh, the best part about that joke is that I don't know Daniel very well, uh, <laughs> but he seemed like he'd be cool. Um <laughs> Thanks in advance, Daniel, for taking care of all that for me. Uh, while we're telling jokes, I have another joke for you. Ready? Um, I am doing a sermon on emotional health. That's it. That's a joke. Um, that's all. Um, maybe that's funny if you know me. Um, I, we're all broken vessels, right? But in this particular uh, area, maybe I'm like the vessel that you take it and you break like the tiny piece off the mouth. And then you throw the big piece away, and this is what's left. Like I'm, I'm preaching as the chip, of the vessel right here. Um, So my prayer is that we all walk out of here with some revelation gained and some grace to to enact what we've gained into our lives. So, that being said, here we go. Um, So to start, I want to talk with, talk with, talk about uh, where I believe emotions come from. We're going to talk about healthy emotions or why it's important to have healthy emotions. And so first we're going to start with where they come from. So uh, here's my little chart or my little diagram here. So the first step is some kind of stimuli enters your brain. And I'm going to pause there and I'm going to use some Justin definitions because when I'm talking about brain, when I say the word brain, I'm talking about the gray matter in your head, the, the physical thing, the organ of your body, the brain. And when I talk about mind, I'm talking about essentially the product of that organ. So whatever it produces, your thoughts, your consciousness, all that's your mind, and your brain is the thing. Um, So stimuli enters your brain, and your brain is going to categorize it. Your brain is going to assign it. Psychologists would say it assigns it as either risk or reward. Um, In in essence, bad or good, or fear or love, basically. It's going to categorize these things. And the, the reason your brain does that is because your brain is a predictor. It's part of the design of your brain is that it's supposed to um, assess situations, predict outcomes in order to enable you to respond accordingly. Your brain's trying to equip you to do the right thing at the right time. Um, So essentially, your brain is guessing. And based on that guess, emotions are going to be produced. So you're going to feel a certain way based on how your brain interprets the stimuli. And based on how you feel, those feelings, those emotions are going to have a really strong impact on... Your thoughts and behaviors. Your thoughts and actions are gonna play, are, are gonna be really closely connected to how you feel about those things. So, for example, if your, if your mind, or if your brain, excuse me, um, interprets a situation and says, you know, reward, good, love, then chances are you're gonna feel positive emotions and your thoughts and actions are gonna be loving and kind. So, for example, your spouse or somebody you really care about gives you a gift. And you get that gift, and you feel loved, and you feel appreciated, and so you say, thank, you say thank you, you give them a big hug, and you look for an opportunity to reciprocate, right? Now, on the other end, if your brain, or if your brain interprets a situation as risk, bad, fear, uh, then, you know, your, your emotions that are produced are going to be negative, and therefore your thoughts and actions are most likely going to be negative and probably controlling, Um, you're going to try to control the situation to prevent pain. So another example is your spouse or whoever you care about, um, instead of giving you a gift, maybe they call you a name, call you a butthead, say, you're a butthead. (laughs) And instead of, you know, so you feel, your brain says, you know, risk, bad, fear, you feel judged, you act defensively, and then you look for an opportunity to reciprocate. You know, you want to give back what you got. So no matter how your brain interprets a situation, your your emotions lead to actions, and those actions, whether good or bad, loving or controlling, they all filter back in as stimuli. They are all stimulating the way your brain is going to interpret things. And the more your brain receives the same or similar stimuli, that one's tough to say, same or similar stimuli, Um, the quicker it's going to produce those outcomes. Does that make sense? It's going to get better and better at making that guess. Or, sorry, not better, efficient. More and more efficient at making that guess. It's going to be quick. It's going to feel like it just happens to you. Um, A lot of our emotions feel like they just happen to us. You know, you wake up and you're like, I'm sad and I don't know why. Or I'm happy and I don't know why. And sometimes maybe there's some truth to that. Sometimes maybe it's spiritual attack and you don't know why you feel that way, or maybe, you know, without getting too uh, therapy-ish or whatever, uh, there's repressed memories or trauma or something uh, that leads that to happen. You don't understand why you feel that way, but you do. But I think most of the time, when it feels like it just happens to you, that's really just a product of your brain being really good at this. It's really, really fast, and so it feels like it just happens, but in essence, this situation has just happened so many times that it's going really quickly. It's the reason why when your child laughs, your heart swells. You feel that emotion. You don't think about it, it doesn't take time, it just happens. It's the reason why when your child cries, your heart feels empathy. It's sad for them. It just happens. It's also the same reason why when you're getting on the highway and the person in front of you comes to a stop on the entrance ramp, you know, they don't just merge, they come to a stop and they hit their blinker. You know, it's the reason why when that happens, you lose your mind and say things in gesture b- before, have t- before you have time to realize that your wife and kids are in the car. It happens in an instant, and it's your brain's fault. You can try. <laughs> um, it's part of the design. Your brain is a predictor, Now, but it's not always reliable. That example right there is a perfect example of how it's not always reliable, the on-ramp The person stopping in front of you shouldn't produce that kind of negative behavior. If you look at the diagram, that kind of negative behavior must stem from a negative emotion, which stems from um, our brain interpreting the situation as risk-bad fear. You know, there's there's no logical reason for us to interpret it that way. Something is driving us to not be able to, we can't help but communicate how wrong they are and how right we are in a completely inappropriate way, that they'll never receive. It doesn't make any sense, but we can't help but do it. And something is driving us to do it. And I'll bet you a large sum of money that it has nothing to do with them. It's not outside of you. That's not the reason that's happening. It's happening because of something in you. So just something to think about if, you know, the highway produces those kinds of things in you. Um, So to recap, though, our brain is not—as its efficient as it is, it's not always reliable in its interpretation. And that's okay, because God had a plan for that, too. Um, We are um, called—Romans 12.2 says, "...do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew the things that your brain produces. Uh, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will." So this verse implies that there is the patterns of the world, the way the world does things, and there is God's perfect pleasing and goodwill. They're not the same thing. So if you think about that, maybe um, some patterns of the world might be um, when you step onto water, you sink. Or when um, you're in a broken relationship, you end it and move on. Um, Or when you get hurt by someone, you get revenge or you hold resentment or when you're sick, you die or when you're dead, you're dead. Those are all patterns that that the world um, uses or that exist in the world. And we are called to not live in those patterns, but to live in God's will, which would be when you step on water, you walk. And when you're in a broken relationship, you don't end it and move on. You get restoration. And when you get hurt, you forgive my waldrick's coming out. Hold on. <laughs> My dad's a crier too, so I can't blame it on them. Uh, when you get sick, you get healed. And when you die, or someone you love dies, or the things that you care about in your life die, they be- get resurrected. So we are called to take our mind, the product of our brain, and hold it up against the truth of God's word and filter it. So God knew that our brain wouldn't always be reliable. He made our brain to be a predictor, but he knew it wasn't always going to predict right. And so he put this step in place for us. Um, This is really important, though. We do this. We feed our spirit. We renew our mind by feeding our spirit. We get in the Word, we get in relationship with God, and we feed our spirit to be able to check our mind. That's a really important point for me to hear myself say, Um, because taking thoughts captive has been something I've struggled with for a long time. Um, It's difficult for me. And I think the reason is because I always try to understand it. I really try to wrap my mind around my mind. I try to use my my mind to police my mind or my thoughts to take my thoughts captive. And I will tell you from firsthand experience, when you do that, you will be confused. I don't know how many times um, I've, you know whether in conflict with Kara, my wife, or whether she's helping me deal with conflict I'm having in another area of my life. I'll be like processing through my emotions and talking about what's true and not true and making all these, everything's making sense in my mind. And I look up at her and she's looking at me like I'm the guy from A Beautiful Mind. You guys remember that movie? Yeah. She's looking at me like she went into, like if we had a shed in our backyard that she never went in and she went into it and she discovered that over the last four months, I've been building one of those crazy walls where I have like all the pictures and newspaper clippings pinned up everywhere and there's a line connecting everything. She's looking at me like I'm not making any sense at all. And it's because I'm not. It's because I'm confused. If you look at Second Corinthians, the reason I'm confused is because God made it to be a different way. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We take every thought captive. So your thoughts can't take your thoughts captive because they're already captive. And once you take them captive, yeah, right? Okay. And once you take them captive, once you feed your spirit to take your thoughts captive, you do not lock them up and throw away the key. That doesn't help the process. You know, that diagram is a cycle and it's unending, the result feeds back into the start. It's a conveyor belt. And taking one item off the conveyor belt, one bad thought out of the equation, it's not bad, but it doesn't fix anything. We are called to take those thoughts captive, and then just like you would with any captive, you press them for info. You find out, who are you? Where did you come from? Who sent you? You waterboard them. You get what you need out of them, so that you can trace that thought back to that emotional source, so that you can trace back to that stimuli, so that you can hold it up against the Word of God and change your perspective. Uh, All right, I'm done. (laughs) Um, That's what living out of that love side of the diagram looks like. It's an understanding of who God is and how much He loves you and how good He is. And that, everything else in your life bends to that. <laughs> Nothing, that shapes everything. Your understanding of God shapes everything in your life. That's what the love side looks like. Yeah. Yeah. However, sometimes some of us might um, allow the circumstances of our life to affect the way we view God. Instead of allowing God to change the way we view our circumstances, we use our circumstances to determine what we think about God. So maybe you have someone you care about who gets sick, and you pray, and you fast, and you hold a prayer vigil at the church, and you do everything that you can, and that person dies. And what happens is, if you don't live in that love side, if you live in that fear side of the diagram... What happens is you develop a crack in your foundation. Yeah. Now, let me just explain my, um, I know my PowerPoint is probably not up to your PowerPoint standards. We've got quite used to elaborate ones, but that is a foundation with a crack in it. Um, it's not a foundation with a lightning bolt in it. It's a foundation with a crack. So when we allow the circumstances of our life, our disappointments or whatever, to define what we think about God, we end up with cracks. No problem. No problem. God has a plan for that. We renew our mind. We hold those cracks up to the truth of God, and we allow Jesus to come in and fill them. He empties them out, cleans them up, refills and restores everything. Perfect. That's the plan. Now, the problem is, when we're in that control side of the diagram, when we're thinking those negative thoughts and controlling thoughts and acting in those controlling ways, we don't always let God in to fix the cracks. We think that we can fix them, or we think that we can hide them. And when that happens, the circumstances in our life, or the direct attack from the enemy, weather the crack, or they spread the crack. So that disappointment that you experience from the loss of your friend gets compounded every time you have a disappointment. It goes in that crack. Every time your feelings are hurt, it goes in that crack, and suddenly that crack gets bigger and bigger, and bigger. Now, no problem. God has a plan for that too. Our cracks, they can only hold so much. So God's plan is our cracks will overflow. And that overflow will manifest as us doing things that draw attention to them. We will act out in ways that we know we shouldn't. We will have an emotional outburst. We will start a conflict with somebody we shouldn't we will say or do something that will draw our own attention or, in in an ideal body, it will draw the attention of those people in your life around you to that crack. You'll do something and you'll have either your own consciousness will notice it and say, hey, what's going on here? Or if you can't, then the people who love you around you or the iron that's around you that's sharpening you will say, hey, what's going on there? And they'll point to that crack so that you can bring that crack Invite Jesus into it to restore it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we run into trouble again. You know, that's again God's plan. He had a plan for that. But we run into trouble again because a lot of times what happens, and I think probably all people can be guilty of this, but I think I feel like Christians are more likely, especially the longer you've been a Christian, you might be more susceptible to this, is that our crack overflows. We see it, the people around us see it, and we're forced to deal with it, and we do. We come up to the altar, we get prayer, we go to the rooms, we get a word, we join a Bible study, we do all kinds of stuff. We let God in, mostly. Mostly in. All the way, somewhere we draw, in our crack, we draw a little line at the bottom, and we say, this far, no further. And we allow God to have everything above the line, but we're just going to hold on to this little piece at the bottom because that is just a little piece, you know? And we surely can't let everybody in on that. We can't let God in on that little bit. And so we, we let God clean out everything and we fill it up with every good thing we can. Like I said, we go to church, we pray, we fast, we read our Bible, we do everything. But underneath all that, there is poison. Underneath all that good stuff, Uh, there's a thought, there's an emotion, there's a belief that doesn't line up with God's truth. Underneath all that, we believe a lie. And in... It's happening again, hang on. Nothing wrong with crying, but I'm in a groove here, so... (laughs) In Ephesians 6, um, Paul describes putting on the armor of God, and towards the end, he gets to the shield of faith, and he says um, that we're to take up the shield of faith... To not only block the fiery arrows of the enemy, but to extinguish them. You know, the enemy's weapon, his lies, are described as a fiery dart or a fiery arrow. It's not the stick that will get you, necessarily. It's the spread of the flame. So in order for a lie to exist, it has to consume the truth. They can't both be there. One has to feed on the other. And when our faith is strong and solid, those lies hit and the flames are extinguished. But when there's cracks, when there's openings and opportunities for the enemy to work, the lies can make their way in, and the flames can spread. And so when we hold on to that little bit and we bury it, that little bit doesn't go away. It grows. That flame spreads. Those cracks spread. And they'll spread underneath. Everything on top looks fine. They'll spread underneath further and further and further until eventually they'll make their way up. And what will happen is our faith will crumble. We might still do and say all the right things. We might confess all the right stuff. We might lay our hands on people, do all the right steps, but there's no strength behind it because our faith isn't there. I think I missed some stuff, but we're okay. Thank you. Um, So our foundation of rock uh, becomes sand. Matthew 17, the backstory here is that um, there's a father who comes to Jesus with a demon-possessed boy. And it's the story, if you remember, where the boy um, is always having seizures, and he falls into the fire or he falls into the water, and the father comes desperately and tells Jesus, you know, "I, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Can you please help me? And Jesus rebukes the demon, heals the boy instantly. And the disciples are left wondering. They go up to Jesus and they're like, hey, why couldn't we do that? You know, why didn't what we did work? And Jesus' response went away. (laughs) Jesus' response... Oh, am I good? Back one more. No. Keep doing that. There we go. Okay. All right, so Jesus' response is because you have so little faith, they say, why couldn't we do it? And he says, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible. You can tell a mountain to move, and it will move. I don't know if you know this, but the pattern of the world is that mountains don't move. They stay still. But with faith as small as a mustard seed, and mustard seeds are pretty small, even as far as seeds go, they're pretty small. Nothing will be impossible for us. But as small as they are, they're sound. They're intact. He didn't say, with a broken mustard seed, you can move mountains. With a crushed or defeated or discouraged mustard seed, you can move mountains. Our faith doesn't have to be big, but it does have to be sound in order to be effective. Later on, excuse me, earlier in Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus is discussing foundations. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The idea here is that we hear God's word, we believe it, and because we believe it, we'll automatically act on it because we believe it. It also implies that God, being a wise builder, isn't going to build on your foundation if it's not sound. If it's not sound, instead of building, he's going to point to where it's not sound. He's going to draw your attention to where it's not sound because out of his kindness, he doesn't want to build things to crush you. He doesn't want to build things to hurt you. He wants to invite you to fix or invite you to let him fix those areas that are cracked so that then you can partner and build to scale. God is always going to build Um, to the the scale that our foundation can hold, with the goal being he builds a little, we get a little crack, he fixes it, he builds a little more, and we grow in our walk with him. This is spelled out a little more bluntly later um, in James 1, 6 through 8, it says, "'But he must ask in faith without any doubting, "'for one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, "'driven and tossed by the wind. "'For that man ought not to expect "'that he will receive anything from the Lord.'" Being a, double-minded, unstable, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It says, if our foundation isn't there, isn't solid, we do not need to expect God to do things for us or to build things on us. Sometimes we get so frustrated with God. Sometimes I get so frustrated with God because I have a dream or I have a vision or I have something that I want or I've received a prophetic word about something in my life and it's just not happening. And instead of getting frustrated with God, maybe I should just open my eyes and start to look where he's trying to point my attention to the cracks in my life, because God wants to build it more than I do, but he won't until I allow him to fix all these cracks in my foundation. So emotional health is extremely important for us in our individual walk with God. But it's also really important if, if we as a church want to, be, if we want to be effective in the world. We are called um, to have a radical and unwavering faith so that the world, like, it, like I mentioned before, in Romans 2, we're supposed to live outside of those patterns of the world so that we can prove God's will to the world. They need it demonstrated. Yeah. And we can't demonstrate it if our faith isn't sound. And we can't have a sound faith if we don't have healthy emotions. So, last little bit here. Acts twenty-seven tells the story of Paul um, sailing to Rome. He's been imprisoned, um, and he kind of, as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal to Caesar which means he wants to take his case all the way to the very top. It'd be like us if we got a traffic ticket saying we want to go to the Supreme Court. Okay, So that's what he does. Long story short, so they put him on a boat to go to Rome to see Caesar. And from the very beginning, the voyage does not go great. The winds are against them. It takes a lot longer than it's supposed to. They have to make all these extra stops. And eventually they have to make this one stop where they're forced to kind of make a decision. They have to decide, hey, we're going to press on despite all these hardships we're having, or we're going to just like lay low for the winter and we'll try again when the weather gets better. And Paul takes this moment to stand up and say, hey guys, God told me that if we press on, it's going to be bad. There's going to be bad stuff that happens if we keep going. Um, But the captain of the ship thinks that he can make it, and so all the people in charge decide, hey, the better choice is we're going to press on. So they set sail, headed towards Rome, And they're caught up in a storm. And it's a big storm. And they're driven way off course. A trip that is not supposed to take very long ends up taking a lot longer. And they do everything they can to preserve the ship. They throw off all the cargo. They throw off the tackle. They even pass ropes underneath the ship and then try to bring them up to tie the ship together so that it won't break apart from the waves and things. And they do all this to try to preserve it. And it says eventually they give up all hope when they haven't, for several days, they haven't seen the sun or the stars. This is the kind of storm that they're in. It's serious. It's a big storm. And at that point, Paul stands up and says this. He says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. So keep your courage, uh, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul tells them, We should have never got on this boat. You guys should have listened to me. Paul was never one to miss an opportunity to say, Hey, I told you so. Um, But he says, don't worry, though. Keep your courage, because God has shown me that we are going to make it. This boat is not going to make it. This boat actually has to be destroyed, but we will be fine. So they have, the trick is they have to stop trying to preserve the boat. They have to let go and let the boat be destroyed. So sometimes we get on ships that we're never supposed to. Sometimes, despite all the warnings, all the winds that are against us, we take on beliefs and emotions that were never intended to take on. And when storms hit, we're caught up and we're swept off course. Sometimes we allow cracks in our faith to be neglected. Uh, We ignore God's attempt to expose the lies we're believing. Maybe even we get mad at God or frustrated with God because we have these cracks and we know they're there and we are just praying desperately for him to fill, fill them instead of actually dealing with the source. We do our best to tie it all up, hold it all together through the storm. We put on a smile and we try to do more and we try to be better. But here's the thing. When it comes to emotional health, God is not calling us to do better, he's calling us to be brave. And he says, let go of the helm, give up control, and allow your ship to be wrecked. Allow all of those thoughts and emotions and beliefs, those hurts that you've held on to, those cracks in your foundation, allow them all to be exposed, give them over to him, and be complete. And allow them to be destroyed. Allow them to be chiseled out. If you're going to fix a crack in concrete, you can't just pour stuff in there. You have to chisel it out. It's not going to be easy, but then you can restore it, and it will be strong again. If you're on the ministry team, go ahead and come up. So it's our responsibility uh, to renew our minds and equip our spirit to keep our minds in check. Okay? That is part of our job that we have to do ourselves. We don't have to do it ourselves, excuse me, but we have to do that. Um, but it's our great pleasure when we screw it up, when we let something in that shouldn't be there. It is such an honor, it's a grace given to us that we can go to our Father and ask Him to come in and restore us. Take care of it. Fix it. So, if you feel like you need to allow God to heal your unhealthy thoughts and emotions, I encourage you to come up and get prayer. This starts the process. Give up control. Come up and allow somebody in and allow God in. And you don't have to white knuckle it, you don't have to press through and do it all on your own. If you're able to do this, it's by God's grace. And so, you can ask God, God, give me the grace to be able to actually pull this off. And He'll partner with you, and He'll build little bit by little bit, as much as your foundation can hold. And as you go, he'll strengthen your foundation. And and that's the plan. That's the design. That's how it's supposed to work for us. So um, if you need prayer, go ahead and come on up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be done. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you, uh, and we thank you for um, your design. We thank you for our brains. We thank you for our emotions. And God, we just pray that they would get in line with your plan right now of how they're supposed to work. And I pray for every heart um, that's here to receive what they need to receive. Um, And anything that they don't need to receive, God, I just pray that it would just um, fall away and not stick, Father. Um, I thank you for all the hearts here. And God, I, uh, I just pray blessings and favor over everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.